You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. So the team that conducts a lot of research at Symantec was looking at some malware. That's Vikram Thakur. He's a technical director at Symantec. The research we're discussing today is titled Leaf Miner, New Espionage Campaigns Targeting Middle Eastern Regions. And we spotted the malware, we found the distribution site, and we started just following the rabbit trail, which led us to the group of the attackers targeting a finite number of organizations in the Middle East. And when we started working with some of those organizations, the discovery just kept growing and we eventually landed up in a position where we could understand the mandate of the group. We could understand where they were most probably located. And then we just decided to put out a blog after we had already shared some of this information with some of the targeted organizations. Yeah, it's quite a story here. So let's walk through it together. Uh, why don't you take us through step by step? What was the first thing that caught your eye? So there was a piece of malware or a file which was uh, not doing things that it actually claimed that it was, that was found on a Middle Eastern organization's network. So when we looked at the file and we deemed it malicious, we wanted to follow up and see whether we could find the origination of the file itself. So when we did that, we stumbled across a website which had housed the file at some point and our crawlers had sort of picked it up. 
So we had the web location of where that file was hosted at one point in time. When we went over there, we could find a whole bunch of other malicious files which were all housed or they were all sitting on this web server. And the server itself actually belonged to the president of Azerbaijan. Hmm. At least that's the organization that it represented. So we, at that point, determined that somebody somewhere had hacked into the server and decided to use it as a little staging server to place all their tools. And whichever one they acquired or the attackers required, they would just take the tool and then go and start targeting other entities. So that's sort of how it started. So we had a good understanding of the tools that were being used by the group that we now call LeafMiner. And when we used those tools and searched for those tools on different organizational networks, we started getting a bigger picture of who the targets were and how LeafMiner was going about targeting these organizations. Till date, we we don't know what exactly their success rate may have been or what they were truly after. From a technical standpoint, we know that their tools were primarily geared towards stealing email copies. So think about a situation where the attacker gets onto an organizational network and then he tries to dump a particular user's complete mailbox or inbox into a file and then take that file away and go through the the contents of that email inbox at their own leisure. So we see a lot of their tools were, were focused on doing that. We do not know what it is that they were searching for within those emails themselves. Take us through who were they specifically targeting? As part of the research, we stumbled across a file which was written in Farsi. And the file itself included a list of organizations that were being targeted. The list was approximately 700 organizations long, spread across multiple countries in the Middle East. And the targets were in aerospace, public sector, manufacturing, finance, Pretty much every single organization that you can think of in any geography, but we think that the focus was on the public sector side of the house, so ministries, agencies, departments of governments, that sort. And targeting geographically the Middle East. Yes. I mean, the list actually showed us that the targeting was primarily in the Middle East. In fact, the list only focused on entities which were based in one of seven or eight different countries, I forget right now. But through the grapevine, we have heard of organizations outside of these seven or eight countries attempting to follow up on Leaf Miner, which makes us think that the targeting may have been beyond just the Middle East too. But we don't have firsthand evidence of that part. Now, there were three main techniques that you all observed and documented in this blog post, ways that they intruded into other people's systems. Can you take us through those? Yeah, yeah, sure. So one of the methods which was quite novel back when these attacks were happening, I mean, they were not very widely used, was combining what we call watering holes uh, with a technique for SMB, 
But essentially what really happens is the attacker tries to understand what kind of websites their intended targets normally visit. So if the attackers wanted to compromise intelligence officials of a certain country, they realize that those intelligence officials are more likely to visit the government's intelligence website within that country. So they isolated these websites that they uh, thought provided uh, the traffic or the visitors that they intended to compromise. And then they hacked into these websites and planted a piece of code in addition to what the website was uh, was offering as, as information anyway. So these websites now became compromised. They had some attacker code on them. So every time somebody visited these websites, that malicious code which is on the website that sent a beacon or sent a little piece of information over to the attackers. The attackers tried to use that information to guess the passwords which were used by these individuals who were attempting to visit the website. It's a bit of a technical jumble out here, but at the end of the day, the attackers really used watering holes in order to gain credentials or gain uh, access to the accounts of those who are visiting the websites. Uh, once they did, then they used those credentials or they used those usernames and passwords to go and legitimately access the targeted person's corporate network. And uh, in some cases, they found themselves uh, lucky and they were able to get in. And once they did, they kind of steered their way towards email mailboxes and trying to gather information from there. Now, they also used some vulnerability scanning tools. Yeah. So those are the other techniques that they used in. uh, They used a lot of off the shelf public information trying to break into their target networks. So they picked up things like some old framework tools which have been publicly documented over the past couple of years. They just took them and tried to use them as tools against uh, target networks. So in those networks, if those servers or those machines were not updated with the latest security patches and security solutions, they would have found themselves vulnerable to these attacks by LeafMiner. But in a lot of cases, we know for a fact that the success rate by LeafMiner using these methods was very low. It just translates to most organizations have already patched or updated their computers against these known vulnerabilities. We see LeafMiner doing this more and more, which is they're relying upon publicly documented tools or publicly available tools to conduct a lot of their attacks. And this is usually reflective of one of two things in every attack group which does this. On one side, attackers are less dependent on their own technical skills to be able to conduct attacks when they're just picking up somebody else's work and launching it against their own target. But on the other side, it allows the attackers to stay under the radar for a longer period of time. So since these tools are publicly available, a lot of organizations always think that they are unlikely to be used against them. So when an attacker actually does use it, it turns out to their own advantage and organizations uh, realize it a little bit too late. And does it make it harder to tag a specific organization if they're using something that may be being used by other organizations as well? 
Yes, it actually becomes a little bit difficult for organizations to track publicly available tools because in some cases, organizations and their legitimate IT team uses these tools for things like internal testing of their own security defenses, or maybe in some cases using these tools to actually manage computers which might not be in the same physical location as themselves. So when the attacker uses these exact same IT-used tools, it becomes very difficult for that information security professional sitting in the middle to be able to distinguish between the legitimate intended use of these tools versus the unauthorized use of these tools by attackers. Hmm. Now, they also used some pretty straightforward things like dictionary attacks, but then Additionally, they had some custom malware that they spun up as well. Yeah, I mean, we see these uh, usage of custom malware going down or really decreasing in the past few years. And we actually think that that trend is going to continue for a long period of time. In this case, they did use a couple of custom malwares which have been seen by us in the past as well. So that kind of gave it away in terms of who these people might be and where they might uh, be sitting because we've seen previous attacks use these same custom tools. We're actually pretty certain that these tools will no longer be used just because uh, usage of these tools will allow attribution a lot easier to a certain group or certain entity. But in those cases, unfortunately, we're not able to find the original emails or the original method by which these tools were delivered to the intended victims. Now, take us through what they were doing in terms of uh, you know, spreading out throughout a network, the, the lateral movement and then getting the data out, the exfiltration. So in the case over here, once the leaf miner group was able to get into a particular network, their first and foremost job was to steal an email from the server that they were on. So they would use some publicly available tools to dump someone's email inbox into a local file and then send that file away to their own servers, which were external to the organization. But at the same time, they were using these dictionary attacks or uh, brute force attacks, which essentially just means I'm going to try to log on as different users on the network using a predetermined set of passwords, which I save in a text file. So these are commonly used passwords. Think of like password, password123 or QWERTY. These are just very simple passwords, but there's a long, long, long list of these which the attacker was trying to use to break into somebody else's account. And every time they were able to, they would use that same account, dump the email, and then continue in a very iterative manner. At the same time, the LeafMiner attack group was using publicly available tools to see what other servers and what other machines were available on the network. At the same time, they were using a scanning tool looking for uh, essentially any network assets that they could, including searching for wireless networks, looking for uh, SQL backup tools or SQL backup servers. And uh, in one case, at least, they were able to find the backup server and they targeted stealing the backup from one of those backup servers. So think about the backup off the backup itself, which was trying to be stolen. Hmm. 
So one of the things that you point out in your research is that you have some indications that perhaps these folks aren't very experienced. Yeah, we don't think this group falls under even the average sophistication category. We think that they're on both sides, whether the technical as well as operational security side, they fall way short, showing us that they're relatively inexperienced attackers themselves. And I'll break that down. On the technical side, the fact that they were relying so much upon publicly available tools in a very haphazard manner, where they were trying one tool, and when that failed, they just went online and picked up another tool. And their their lack of sophistication or technical knowledge to be able to tweak certain publicly available tools in order to gain what they intended to do with the tools shows that they were not very technically capable. Even the malware itself that they were using is sort of middle of the road in terms of coding techniques and sophistication for that matter. And on the other side, when I talk about operational security, I'm really referencing the security that they employed themselves in these operations. So normally we would associate high profile attacks, the ones where the attacker was able to victimize someone and the victim was not able to know that they were actually compromised for a longer period of time. In this case, the fact that the Leaf Miner gang was was very noisy in environments. They were actually probing so many machines uh, once they got onto a network. They were downloading publicly available tools onto these machines, onto these compromised computers, and then using them in a very ad hoc manner made them very visible to networks where their presence was. And it allowed us the opportunity also to go and find their staging server in literally no time. We found their server and kept track of it for months until we even published the blog. And on the exact same day, their server was still being used. Uh, It just kind of goes to show that these people are not very careful in uh, hiding their own footsteps. So overall, we placed them in in an inexperienced bucket of attackers. Now, uh, to that point, were defensive tools detecting what they were up to? Yes. You know, for most part, the public tools were all already detected by multiple vendors, including ourselves. In some cases where they did use uh, some of these custom tools, they did have a degree of success where in some cases they were able to get onto a network. But just as they got onto the network, they got detected out there. So we don't think that their success rate was very high overall. So what are the take-homes for you? What do you uh, walk away with this one from? How does it inform what you all do in the future? Well, a couple of things. I mean, one, we tell other organizations not to minimize the potential of publicly available tools against their organizations. We tell defenders that, listen, uh, here's case in point of attack groups who are determined to get onto your network and they're just using what is already available out there. So please, please, please make sure that you apply the security updates which are available from vendors. You update your security solutions and you only expose the network assets. So you only expose servers which are actually meant to be exposed by your business. There's no point in making a an internal server of yours accessible to the internet if you don't have a business reason for it. So we're kind of taking this 
to uh, defenders as a learning opportunity where they can realize the worth of just simply applying these security updates and reducing the risk that their own surface area provides. On the other side, uh, from an attacker standpoint, what this tells us about attackers in different places, including Iran out here, is there's a new breed or there are a whole bunch of people with very little experience are now getting into the offensive game. These attackers that we believe operating out of Iran are exactly a, a poster representation of that message where the bar is very, very, very low. And people with just enough motivation, whether it's financial or geopolitical or whatever that might be, are getting into this action. And the number of attacks that we're seeing are just going to keep increasing uh, using these living off the land tools. Do you have any sense for where a group like this would fit into the marketplace in a place like Iran? I guess what I'm trying to get at is, Do these folks represent the level of talent that Iran possesses right now, or are they an unskilled group who's just trying to to uh, you know get their way into the group? And you know, Iran has an A team, and these folks are not that A team. Do you get where I'm going with that? Yeah, I see where you're going. I mean, whether it's Iran or any other country for that matter, the odds of us finding offensive attackers are right across the whole spectrum. Yes, we will find people who are taking a class in cybersecurity and they decide that they want to go out and attack other entities. But on the other end of the spectrum, we'll also find highly skilled individuals who are working under governments, well-funded, with clear mandates in order to create the tools and sustain attack campaigns for a very long time. Now, we don't know whether Leaf Miner was uh, working at the behest of any government or these were just some enthusiasts who decided to go off on their own in the with the aim of getting data and proving themselves to somebody else. But we definitely think that they represent the lower end of that spectrum. And we see these kind of attacks from other places as well, in other countries as well. And uh, it's kind of hard to say whether the country as a whole only possesses attackers with low skill but high volume. I think that would be a naive thing for us to think about. Our thanks to Vikram Thakur for joining us. The research is titled Leaf Miner, New Espionage Campaigns Targeting Middle Eastern Regions. You can find it on the Symantec website. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice, then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire.
The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.